We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, welcome back to hour number two of the show. Thanks to Mario Cristobal. He'll join us every week for a couple of segments. And uh, he's fired up and ready to go. He's trying to deflect a lot of the attention from him, but it's going to be about him. I mean, from a media and fan perspective. Sure. for, For him, it's about players and administration, but everybody's excited because, well, because him. <laughs> well, you know, his personality is, is not to attract the attention, you know, but the story <laughs> is him. Is him. Yeah. And and it should be a big story, and it should attract a lot of attention. Uh, you know, your son has come home to run the family business. And I mean, and that's, that's really what, when you th- talk about what Coach Cristobal is here for, uh, he has put all the effort imaginable into getting to this point. And I don't mean from when he signed on as the head coach. I mean from when he was here as a player. This, is, this has been a 25-year journey uh, or 25-30-year 20, journey for him to be the head coach of the University of Miami. And he's taken the path that has best prepared him for this job. And he's here to do it. I mean, you, you and I spend t- a lot of time with him. You, you can see it. You see it in, in, in every step that he takes at practice, every interview that he does, every time you have a conversation with him, even, even outside the realm of media. This, he is on it, and this is the most important thing aside from his family and his life. Okay, David Hale is joining us from ESPN. And uh, David was here last week. Had an opportunity to check out the University of Miami. David, good evening to you. Gentlemen, how are you? Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I was, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in my office in Charlotte watching the pouring rain outside, and it's just gross and nasty, and, and I'm, I'm thinking I might need to turn around and come back down to South Florida. David, uh, yeah, no question. Uh, we've got nice weather right now, as a matter of fact, uh, although we had supposedly a storm out there somewhere. Uh, at any rate... Uh, you were here last week. Uh, what were your thoughts on the University of Miami, what you saw? Well, look, I, we are seeing a Miami that is in transition. I mean, I don't think anybody can look at this and say that's the end point. That's, that's, that's entirely the point is that it's not the end point. Mario wouldn't be here. Dan Radakovich wouldn't be here uh, if there weren't bigger plans. But what you see is sort of the early stages. It's it's the ribbon cutting and the groundbreaking type of thing uh, that says we're building more. And I think you know my biggest takeaway from all of this is that 
Um, there is a guy in charge who I think would rather uh, die than lose at Miami. Like he is so um, tied into emotionally invested into Miami being good again that, I mean, it's, it's palpable in just everything that Mario Cristobal is doing. And so, you know, I sat with him for a while while I was down there and, um, the, you know, look, everybody who has been around him or knows him understands the Mario Cristobal sales pitch. Like, dude's a good recruiter for a reason. He is good at at selling people on a program. But what feels so different now is that it really feels uh, not. I don't want to say anything before was inauthentic because I don't think it was. He wanted to win clearly. But this is authentic in a very personal way. He can speak to Miami's success and or lack thereof over the last you know, 20 years, really, and speak about it in a way that feels like every win and loss is he's, he's been along for the ride uh, because he cares so deeply about the program, the history, and the direction of the future. I mean, it is, it is hard to ignore. Um, so you take, you take this great recruiter, this guy who eats, sleeps, and breathes college football, and you put him in a place that he cares this much about, and boy, it's it's sort of fun to watch. It's fun to be a part of. It's fun to be around. I think you brought up something that was also very important. Uh, Dan Radikovich is here. Mario is here. Uh, sometimes when you make a change, maybe it's to push push a a uh, a team, an organization, a franchise over the goal line across home plate, or sometimes it's a bigger build. And this one is a bigger bill. This isn't just pushing Miami into, into the end zone. Yeah, and I mean, look, this is, I, I've made a point, I, I look, Mario was a great hire and is, is uh, essentially important to what they want to do there. But I, I look at the, the DRAD hire as, as almost as big, maybe bigger in some ways, because um, the job at Miami is a difficult one, not for the reasons that other jobs are difficult. It's difficult in some ways for good reasons. I mean, I was talking to Dan Radikovich about building a football facility and, and how you invest in um, building out actual facilities like brick and mortar stuff for Miami. And he said, look, it's hard. We don't have a ton of real estate right here. Right. Like, but it's also the, the, the beauty of Miami. Like it's great for recruiting that you can bring a guy down and show him that the beach is, you know, a couple miles away and it's this great town and everything's awesome there. The, the downside is it's hard to find a lot of places to build, you know, in Clemson, there's just, you know, acres and acres of space you can build. You don't have that at Miami. So it's a challenge. But I think one of the things that, that is so good about um, the cachet that both Mario and Dan Radikovich bring is that they bring energy and they bring know-how and they are, they are consensus builders. Um, particularly, this was, this was, I think, one of the things that was, that was Radikovich's biggest strength at Clemson. And, and you're dealing with a lot of strong personalities there, too. But everybody uses the word alignment. You want your program to have alignment. And it's probably overused at this, at this point. But I think there's a lot of truth to that. And, again, one of the strengths of Miami is that they have this great history and so many people who care. But that's also a double-edged sword in the same way that all those people who care aren't necessarily always pulling in the same direction. And they think maybe their idea for getting Miami back is better than the other guy's idea. These two guys, I think, are going to be really good at creating a vision for the future selling that vision and then getting everybody pulling in the same direction behind making that vision happen. Um, and, and that's, 
again, you never want to like say, oh, isn't it a shame that Miami has too many people who care or has too awesome a campus uh, to, to build in. Those are strengths, but they're also problems that you have to deal with, challenges that you have to embrace. And I think that they've got the right guys there to do it. Miami ha- what impact does Miami have on the ACC and all of college football when they are back? Well, I mean, it's everything right now for the ACC. The, this is league, I mean, I'm not breaking any news to say it is, it is challenging times right now in the ACC, and um, for good reason. I mean, look, they're, they're locked into a TV deal. I mean, speaking of things that are double-edged swords, they're locked into a TV deal and a grant of rights through 2036. That TV deal looks increasingly unfortunate every year, given what the Big Ten and the SEC are making. Um, on the other hand, that grant of rights is holding everything together so that the ACC is not getting picked apart by the Big Ten and the SEC. Um, so there's there's room to maneuver. And I think there is investment, particularly on ESPN's side, as the ACC is an asset to them. But the question is, how do we – how do we address that revenue gap? How do we put the ACC in a better position to, A, get more TV revenue, and B, be considered, be talked about, just be part of the narrative at that same level as the SEC and the Big Ten? And to me, there's all kinds of things that, that the ACC is trying to do to work around the edges. But job number one is Florida State and Miami have to be good because those are brands. Those are brands at the same level as Alabama and Ohio State that can sell and move the needle and make ESPN want to come to the bargaining table, even though they do not have to, and say, look, it is in our interest to make sure the league survives and you are putting a better product on the field that makes it worth our while to make that investment. Right now, I mean, the league has been Clemson and then everybody else, and that's been great for Clemson and not so great for the ACC. So I think, look, having Miami be relevant – and this is true of Florida State, too, uh, is absolutely critical for the long-term future of the ACC if there's going to be one. And if they're not, if they can't kind of build into more of a, a, a national brand beyond Clemson, a, a, a league that people want to tune in and watch week in and week out beyond Clemson, then I think the future for the league is, is very dicey. Uh, but I do think you, you see both programs, but I think particularly at Miami, a genuine investment in the future uh, in a way that, that I think has to matter, of course, to Miami fans, but I think truly does matter to the rest of the ACC too. I think your point on, and nobody would disagree with you with the, with the Miami-Florida State and what they need to do to help this conference, but if they're going to continue to to develop as a conference, you got to start having conversations with the Syracuses and the Georgia Techs and, and the way, you know, you, you start talking about those couple of those schools – They've got to bring up the bottom as well. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, a challenge that I'm not sure there's an easy answer on because, um, look, the world 10 years ago, and certainly you go back to when Miami first joined the league, was much different than it is today and, and where the revenue disparities were between basketball and football, um, the importance of academics and all of those things. Uh, and I don't want to say that any of those other things don't matter anymore, but the revenue that football generates has so far outpaced all of that other stuff that it is the only conversation worth having from a business sense. And then you look and you say, well, well what are we dealing with if you're, if you're the ACC? Well, Boston College and Syracuse, these are pri- small private institutions in the Northeast in areas that are not 
bought into college football. You look at Georgia Tech, and it's this extremely high academic program that is, you know, an hour away from the defending national champs. Um, Wake Forest, Duke, these are not programs that are built to play on the big stage consistently the way even like the bottom tier of the SEC where if you're talking about Mississippi State or Ole Miss or Kentucky, those programs are so have so many more assets to work with than Syracuse or Boston College or Wake Forest or Duke do. And so it is a challenge. Um, but I think what you also see, I mean, look, Wake Forest was really good at football last year. Correct. And that should have been a good story. Pittsburgh was really good last year. That should have been a big story. But but they almost get downplayed to some extent because Florida State and Miami and Virginia Tech have been down. Then we don't give credit to those smaller schools that have risen up. Whereas in the SEC, when Mississippi State has a great year, or when Kentucky has a great year, it must be because the SEC is so darn deep. Uh, but when the Wake Forest or Pitt does, well, it must be because the ACC doesn't have any depth whatsoever. Um, and that's, again, it's not – at the end of the day, I don't know that any of this stuff is necessarily true, but public opinion and narrative building matters, and that's where Florida State and Miami is, is sort of the rising tide lifts all ships mentality. Well, I think I would pile on both ways. Uh, pick up on Don's conversation and also what you said, David, and I would agree – that the ACC probably would not be in this position of uh, perhaps getting, you know, having their teams picked off by the Big Ten or the SEC if Miami and Florida State were like they were, if, if Miami and Florida State were having success like they did 20 years ago when Miami first came into the conference. That being said, and I put that on Miami and FSU, that being said, the ACC up until now did not have the foresight to say we need to invest more in football and hopefully our fan bases will be more passionate. And the reason I bring that up is because it's easy. I'm not a recruiter, but I find it would be very easy for the SEC to recruit against Miami and Florida State. You want to play for Miami? And, 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 And what happened is Alabama has come into this state and so is Georgia and I think they've taken it over to the detriment of Miami and FSU and to a certain extent the University of Florida and all you got to do is say hey look hey if you can't play at Alabama you want to play for Tennessee going to have 100,000 fans of Tennessee you want Miami we know you love playing for Miami Don Bailey but you're going to go play at Wake Forest and Wake Forest is going to have 12,000 people there whether they're good or not you're going to go play right. at Duke, and nobody's going to be there. And <laughs> yeah. you know, people want to complain about Miami's attendance. Look at the bottom of this league. They haven't put anybody in. I don't know how you fix it. I mean, that's the bottom line is I don't know how you fix that. And, and I think to some extent the problem is designed to, be, to, to get worse because you, you look at Texas and Oklahoma coming into the SEC, and you look at USC and UCLA going into the Big Ten, and I think – whether or not there are, we have truly reached a super conference level of college football, I think is, is a debate that you can have. It's mostly semantic. But if recruits start viewing it as, I can go play for you know, the AFC or the NFC, or I can go down and play in like the Arena League, which the ACC is going to get essentially dinged as like this AAA version, you know, XFL or whatever, uh, compared to what the other two leagues have going on. And, and that is a difficult thing. To recruit to. So even if you are putting a great product on the field, even if you're Miami and you can start packing the Hard Rock Stadium week in and week out, 
you still are sort of recruiting against the narrative. And uh, the only way to start shifting narrative, period, is to start winning some football games. So I look at a game like this Thursday uh, up in, in Pittsburgh, and we've got a backyard brawl happening, and that stadium's going to be sold out and rocking and fun. And I don't know that that's ever going to be the case week in and week out for Pitt, but that's a good team coming off of a very good year, playing a rivalry on a national stage. That game is huge for the ACC, and – Boy, Pitt really needs to win it because the last thing the ACC needs is to see its defending champ take a pratfall in a moment like that. I'm, I'm going to fix the ACC for you. You ready? I'm sitting next to a guy that has one of the all-time greatest billboards in the history <laughs> of mankind. His father has been on a billboard advertising uh, flooring for 50 years in a naked body, and Don is right there with him. Now, I am telling you that we don't need to put naked bodies on billboards, but if I'm the ACC, I am peppering I-95 from Key West all the way to Jacksonville with ACC billboards. Because if they're not going to play for Miami or Florida State, then at least these kids in the state, I wish they'd play for somebody inside the ACC. That would make this conference better. Billboards, my friend. Don Bailey Jr. right there. You're saying naked Don and naked Joseph We can turn the tide, baby. I didn't say that. I'm just saying ACC oh, billboards. Yeah, there hey, we go. Look, it, wor- it, it worked for, for Don. What I'm South saying is there. It, it, the border in South Carolina, everybody goes to buy their fireworks there. It's all the billboards. That's so correct. That's it's all correct. the billboards. That's right. Go buy your fireworks. Peppy across. South of the border. South of the border. South right? of the border. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, inside the ACC, uh, Miami's been picked to win one side, Clemson the other. Who are the other teams that we might be talking about this year? So, you know, let's, if you start in the Coastal, which I think is the easier one to have a conversation about because I think there's three relevant teams that have a shot. And that's Miami, Pittsburgh, Carolina. We saw Pittsburgh do it last year. I still think this is a very good team, but they lost their two best players, Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison. Uh, to me, that team will live and die by Keaton Slovis. And if we see... I don't even think he needs to be the freshman year setting records at USC version. I think they need to see something closer to the 2020 version. If he can be pretty good, um, I think that Pitt has a very good chance to win the Coastal. Carolina, look, I didn't exactly come away from Saturday's Week Zero game against Florida A&M saying, boy, they fixed all their problems. I thought the O-line was still not always great. I thought the defense definitely struggled at times. Now, of course, they were going to be vanilla. They weren't trying to show too much. Um, Tony Grimes, their their excellent cornerback, got hurt early. Um, I'm just I, I, there's I want to like North Carolina, but uh, I got a little too close to the fire last year, and now I'm very worried about being burned. So I, I think Miami is deservedly the favorite. Um, I think if you you know flip flop the quarterback position, then uh, you would easily make the case for Pittsburgh. Miami's got the better player at the most important position on the field. Pittsburgh's probably a little deeper in most of the other spots. I think that'll be a very interesting race to to play out this year because they're both, I think, very good teams. Um, In the Atlantic, you're stupid not to pick Clemson because they're the most talented team. But I look at that offense, which struggled really badly last year, and you say, well, what did they do to fix it? When they lost their offensive coordinator, um, 
they didn't go into the transfer portal. They're starting the same quarterback again. They haven't added to the wide receiver core, which is a problem last year. You hope some of the young guys, I think particularly Will Shipley, has a chance to be an absolute superstar in their backfield. Um, Look, it's Clemson. I'm not going to bet against them. But uh, I I have more questions about Clemson this year than I've had in a good long time. Um, Wake, I think a lot of their season depends on whether Sam Hartman is back sooner or later, if at all. Um, I think Florida State, look, they looked impressive, uh, admittedly, against Duquesne. I am really excited to see this matchup against LSU this weekend because that Florida State run game has a chance to be really, really good. But they're going up uh, against an LSU team where that defensive front is a strength for LSU too. I'll be very interested to see how that plays out. This game is going to tell us a lot about how seriously we need to take FSU. And, of course, there's NC State. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I want to pick NC State. There's a lot to like about them. Devin Leary's a really good quarterback. They're deep almost everywhere. It's a very veteran, experienced team. They won nine games last year. Could have been ten, Dave Doran will tell you, if their bowl game hadn't been canceled. But this is NC State, right? We've all been on this ride before. We know how it ends. Um, I'm not one to say that history necessarily has to dictate this season. But I am one to say that NC State has not ever won an ACC in sort of the modern championship game era. They've not even played for one of those. I have a hard time saying that that they're getting over the hump until I see it. But I do think that that this is probably the year for the first time in a long time where you go into the year saying, I don't know if it's Clemson or FSU. It might be somebody else. And you have to go back a long way before you're really excited about somebody else before the season the way you are this year. I'd like to go back to Clemson for a minute. I, you know, we spent this entire offseason and really the whole season last year that Clemson's fallen off the map. They lose to Georgia because they throw a pick six. It was a 3-3 game. They throw a pick six. They lose by that. It was one or two overtimes against NC State, wasn't it? And, yep, two overtimes. Right. It was the only team that really that really beat them last year. All right, and Pitt, I guess, was an 11-1 team. And then they end it by beating Ohio State. And it's and it's like all of a sudden Dabo's forgot how to coach. There's an exodus because of the the two assistant coaches going and getting head jobs. And Clemson's Clemson's off the board, so to speak. I, I don't see it that way. I really don't. Now yeah. it's going to be a little different. I don't know how these coordinators are going to fit in, but they've been in the system. They both understand what coach uh, what Dabo wants done, and the players they've they've done a phenomenal job recruiting there. I am with you on this. Like, there's a ton of talent there, and particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Yes, I do. I do genuinely wonder, long term, big picture, what the loss of Brent Venables means because I think he is just one of a kind as a coordinator. Uh, I saw a video of him today out running the, running the bleachers in at uh, the stadium out in Oklahoma. I mean, that dude's just a one man wrecking crew, and I just don't know personality wise. The, the attention to detail, all that stuff. You could go out and hire the next best offensive co- or defensive coordinator in the country, and I don't know if it can be Brent Venables. But to your point, they're recruiting at a level that is so much ahead of everybody else in the league that you don't have to be great at everything else. You just can be the most talented team on the field. That helps. And if you, it helps <laughs> a good bit. So I, I tend to be with you, I think. And, and here's one of the big differences. You know, I, I alluded to – they haven't really changed the offense much from last year, and they haven't. But one of the big differences this year from last year is that if D.J. Oyungle struggles at quarterback, 
They have a plan B. Last year they didn't. They there did was not. no plan B. Mm-hmm. This year they have a kid out of Texas named Ken Klubnick who was one of the top quarterback recruits in the country. He's had an exceptional fall camp. I think he's ready to play. And if he really struggles, if DJ really struggles again, I don't think Dabo will feel bad about putting in plan B and seeing if that works a little bit better. So that is one of the real areas that is markedly different from last year. But I do think they got to play better, be more physical at the line of scrimmage. They got to have more guys step up at receiver and they got to stay a lot healthier. Those things do have to happen because the other thing is, is NC state is legitimate. That is not just a a team that we're throwing out there and saying, well, maybe they can compete. I, I think they are, really, really good and can have a chance. If all goes right for NC State and a few things go wrong for Clemson, that can be a much closer race than we think. David, thank you very much. Will we see you in uh, College Station? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to seed, the, uh, <laughs> seed the, the bosses now to make sure that it happens. I can't make any promises. Uh, I may not be allowed in Texas. I, I don't know. I got to check. I got to check my my stat my status with the state. But uh, I would certainly love to be down there. And boy, oh boy, that's going to be a fun one. All right. Well, we hope to see you. And uh, we're going. I think we should just make you a regular on our show. By the way. Yeah, we'll see. We'll talk to you next. We'll talk, yeah, we'll to, you talk to you next, next Tuesday week. at seven oh five. Next Tuesday, seven oh five. Mark it down. <laughs> All right, guys. Good to talk to you again. Right, thank thank you. you, David Hale, joining us from ESPN. Does a great job. Was here last week. Enjoyed visiting with him last week. You know, it's funny. Also inside the ACC, and we have a lot of discussions down here, especially in the fan base, about does the University of Miami need an on-campus stadium? And you know, I like Hard Rock. I think fans will show up wherever. Um, if Miami's good, they're going to show up wherever they play. Now I get it. it maybe it's a possibility. Maybe it happens at. Tropical Park, you know, and hopefully it does in my lifetime. Uh, however, Georgia Tech, we love going to Georgia Tech. One of my favorite right? places. They've got a great little stadium right there on campus, 45, 50,000 seat stadium, 55,000 seat stadium. Great press box. Beautiful press box. Great place to call a game from. Wonderful skyline behind it. And they're taking at least one game a year out of that stadium. I know. They're they go leaving. Play, they go play in the Mercedes-Benz Dome. Yeah. That is uh, – well, and they don't – and well, and obviously the last three years they haven't had the talent on the field or the wins and losses to attract the Bobby the Dodd Stadium. They, yeah, Bobby Dodd Stadium. And I, I love that place, and they have trouble filling it up. And like you said, they're taking – they're taking one away, one away every the last couple of years. That's been going yeah, that's on. That's the that's been their new plan. They're going to take at least one game, maybe two away to go play at the Mercedes Benz. But I love Dome. that. I mean, I've told you for oh, yeah. the whole time. That's one of my, if not my favorite, on the road place to to call a game. It's it, just unbelievable. It's a beautiful place to call a game. Uh, there are always a lot of University of Miami fans there. Uh, at any rate, we'll come back. We'll do a little preview of Bethune-Cookman. Then we'll move on into volleyball as we continue on the hotline. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.